so the mask fit his head differently, as the producers thought it would be the final sequel to the series. They let War Warlock keep the mask, scalpel, boots, jumpsuit, and knife used in filming. When they decided to revive Michael in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which... I also have 1988. The producers decided they had made a mistake and never again gave props out to the cast and crew. Therefore, subsequent sequels used different masks. Different masks to look rather different. Now, while I'm reading this, I'm also uh, smoking at the same time because it's supposed to be my, my uh, break. Damn it, it went out. I'll have to relight that one. What's in the name of the site? For some reason, I can't find it now. Urban Legends Online. It's all... Okay, got it. Sorry, folks. I have to help my husband find the site again. Yeah, my laptop went stupid. I'm going to have to clean it out again. Not one of that. You can wait till Sunday to do that. Yeah. We gotta hammer up the rest of this shit before, uh, before Halloween. So Okay, okay. Now I remember. Was it Buggy Bill Reader we left off, or no? I read that one. Yep. Telemonia Spider. You were supposed to start off from. Ah. Well, now that you found it, uh, I'm already in different. In freaking mode here. Go ahead. Uh, what the fuck was that? Oh, different masks looked di looked rather different. To get the role of Michael Myers, Dick Warlock revealed that he, as he passed by a room, the Michael Myers mask was on a table. He put the mask on. It walked into. Rick Rosenthal, Rosenthal's office and stood there. After Rosenthal's continuously asking, asked him who he was and he didn't reply, he took off the mask and asked if he could play Michael Myers. The film was bookend, bookended by the song Mr. Sandman, sung by the Cordettes. The tune would later would also later be used in the later Halloween movie, Halloween H2O, 20 years later, 1998. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had no interest in making a sequel as they believed the original Halloween, 1978, was a standalone movie. When the studio offered them more money to write the script, then Carpenter took the job so he could earn back what he believes, what he believed was his own pay. At the time, Carpenter had seen little earnings from the original film. He admitted that he received a significant back-end salary much later. However, 
The script was not forming out as well as he thought. And he has personally stated that the only, re only thing helping him through the screenplay process was a six-pack of Budweiser every day, which led to what he believes an inferior script in bad choices in the movie's story. He later called Halloween 2 an abomination and a horrible movie. Wasn't that bad. Producer and writer John Carpenter didn't like director Rick Rosenthal's first vision of the film, believing it to be as scary as an episode of Quincy M.E. 1976. A re-edit was done, but Carpenter still found it too tame, so he took over the editing process and sped up the action. He also shot a few gory scenes that were added into the film despite Rosenthal's objections. This annoyed Rosenthal because he had wanted the sequel to emulate the way the original avoided explicit violence and gore in favor of well-crafted suspense and terror. In fact, Carpenter had intended for Halloween 2 to do just that. But the success of the new wave of slasher films from 1979 and 1980 made him afraid that the film, which was scary and rated R, but lacked bloodshed and nudity, would do poorly at the box office leading to the extra graphic material inclusions. He later said that he thought that Rosenthal didn't have a feeling for what was going on with the film. Rosenthal will go on to direct Halloween Resurrection 2002. Well, if that ain't bashing somebody for uh, apparently, if Carpenter made him afraid that the film, which was scary and R-rated, but lacking bloodshed and nudity, would do poorly at the box office, he really didn't. Does not know horror. No, I would agree with that. This is the only Halloween film to show the morning after the 31st. Every other movie ends on Halloween night. The sequel, though not as successful at the box office as the original Halloween, 1978, still grossed m more money than other 1981 horror movies such as The Halloween, 1981, shocking. Friday the 13th, Part 2, 1981, where Jason actually comes into it. And the final conflict, the same year, 1981. I would agree. The film is set immediately after the first Halloween. 
Because some people think I'm talking about Rob Zombie's one. Yeah. Since Jamie Lee Curtis had be- begun to wear a much shorter hairstyle in the 1980s, she had to wear a wig that matched her original hairstyle for the film. <laughs> oh, that's gotta suck. <laughs> Holy crap. Just cast someone else with the same hairstyle. Shit. At around 11 minutes, the voice of Alice's friend, heard over a telephone, is the voice of Nancy Loomis, who played Annie in the original 1978 film Halloween, and appears in Halloween 2 as the corpse of Annie. That's usually a freaking dummy or mannequin that does that, not an actual person. Yeah, no shit. Jamie Lee Curtis has played Laurie Strode in films released in five different decades from the 1970s to the 2010s. Halloween, 1978. Halloween 2, 1981. Halloween H20, 20 years later, 1998. Halloween Resurrection, 2002. And Halloween 2018. A common criticism is that the the hospital is too conveniently dead. Even for a night shift, for Michael to be able to walk around unnoticed to kill the hospital staff. Um, If you go to a freaking hospital, it's supposed to look conveniently dead. I know that one. When it's late at fucking night. I know that one all too well. So don't I. Rick Rosenthal said he based this off a personal experience he had with his wife where they once attended a hospital late at night and it was completely deserted. Save for a few doctors and nurses and the patients. Additionally, early dialogue and the script refers to it as Haddonfield Clinic. Not a fully staffed hospital. Halloween 2 was originally written to take place in a high-rise apartment building. Later in the script me- later in script meetings, however, the setting was changed to Haddonfield Hospital. First of the two Halloween movies directed by Rick Rosenthal, who later went on on to Helm Halloween Resurrection 2002, the eighth and final film in the original cinema series. At around one hour and six minutes, Lance Guest did his own, stu- did his own stunt when he trips on the blood and falls on the floor. However, this scene was done in a single shot. Apparently, he was able to do it good in one shot. According to Leo Rossi, or Rossi, uh, what was I? Oh, on a DVD commentary for the film, the water in the hot tub was freezing cold. 
one of the two films in the series to begin with the ending of the previous film. The other is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, 1989. Was filmed at Morningside Hospital, 8711 South Harford, Harvard, Los Angeles, which had recently closed and has since been torn down. It has since been replaced by Harvard Yard Senior Apartments. Dick Warlock is the shortest Michael Myers in, in the entire series. In, in fact, he wore lifts, which is boots that have a slight rise in them in order to appear taller. John Carpenter turned down an offer to direct as he initially had no desire to become involved in the project anyway. However, several of his people convinced him to stay involved in a small capacity like executive producer, so that he could at least earn some money from the franchise he started. He also liked the fact that he could help give a new director a chance to make a movie, as the first film had done for him. He ended up producing and writing the screenplay and later got involved in editing and reshoots as well. He was then asked by NBC to shoot additional footage for the te TV version of Halloween 1978. Since the original version was too short for the network, so he also oversaw the filming of those scenes while Halloween 2 was being shot. At around 26 minutes, the Halloween, the scene where the boombox boy, played by Lance Warlock, runs into Michael in Haddonfield Town Square, was shot on one of these three nights of reshoots done by original Halloween director John Carpenter. One of the batch of suspense slash horror movies made during the, the late 1970s and early 80s starring Jamie Lee Curtis who became known as a screen queen. Not in my eyes. The films include Halloween, the original Halloween, 1978, Prom Night, which was another dumbass fucking movie, 1980, The Fog, 1980, Road Games, 1981, Terra Train, 1980, and Halloween 2, which is what I'm reading for stuff you didn't know right off about this one. A number of area hospitals provided the filming locations for the Haddonfield Medical Facility. Many of them, many of, of them hospital corridors. Most of these were filmed at two 
Californian Hospitals, the Pasadena Community Hospital, and the Morningside Hospital in Los Angeles. John Carpenter produced, supervised, and co-scripted, and even directed, uncredited, a few additional scenes for this film. Carpenter's music from the first film was also used, and he was involved in the film's post-production as well. A novelization of the film was provided in 1981. It was written by horror sci-fi writer Dennis Etchinson for the Suf Suf the, the Take a drink of Stumbled. Fasudium. Presudium, sorry. Jack Martin, it became a bestseller. The start of each the chapters in the book were lined with captioned black and white stills from the movie. In a 1981 interview in Fangor magazine, Deborah Hill told of how there was consideration of making the movie in 3D. Hill said, we investigated a number of 3D processes, but they were far too expensive for the particular project. Also, most of the projects did involve a lot of night shooting, even like night shooting, evil lurks at night. It's hard to do that in 3D. Until 2018, this is one of the only two Halloween films released by Universal Studios. After the massive success of the first film, Universal picked up the sequel. When Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982, didn't fare so well, Universal gave the rights to Trance, Trance, Trancus, Trancus International, an affiliate of Universal's, who produced the films until 1989. In 1996, the rights were sold to Merrimax, or Myramax, Merrimax, however you want to freaking pronounce it. Interestingly, several of the scenes and lines in this film were taken by John Carpenter from the novelization of the first Halloween which was written by Curtis Richards and published in 1979. The most obvious references are the neighbor appearing from a house near the Doyle residence and speaking to Loomis. Their exchange is almost identical and includes the you don't know what death is. line from Loomis, and Loomis going outside after shooting Michael to view his body, although Lori accompanies him. Loomis also says that his gun heightens his, my sense of security. 
a line said to Deputy Hunt in the, in the movie in this movie. To achieve the bloody tears scene, according to Dick Warlock, is the mask's forehead was a bulb of fake blood. And when Dick Warlock stumbled back and put his head, sorry, not head, hand on the mask, is when the blood was released. According to the documentary on the on the Blu-ray release releases of Halloween 2, Leo Russi and Pamela Susan Shoop were not too keen on the hot tub scene, with uh, the distressed Shoop refusing to do it, even though Russi was reluctant at first. After director Rick Rosenthal. Rosenthal talked to him. Rusty confronted Shoop into doing the scene due to the fact that Rusty felt he really owed it to Rosenthal, who had gone to bat to get him the role of Bud. According to Dick Warlock, Deborah Hill was on set throughout the shoot, including his stocking scenes. At one point, he asked her about his slow walk, and, he and she replied, Oh, it's fine. Keep doing that. After the release of the film, she said in an interview that he walked too slow and didn't resemble Nick Castle's portrayal. This really pissed off Warlock immensely as he felt while present during the shoot she could have voiced her opinion so he could have altered it altered how we did it how we did the walk that does not surprise me with Hollywood executives Tommy Lee Wallace was originally offered the opportunity the opportunity to, to direct this film. Having worked as the editor and production designer on the original film, he had his own thoughts about where to proceed with the sequel and was excited by the project. However, John Carpenter eventually determined that this film would pick up directly from where the original left off. Despite some disappointment in this in this story direction, Wallace maintained his interest and was still set to direct, with his name even appearing as director in a nineteen eighty trade trade ad released by Filmways Pictures. When Carpenter finished the script and presented it to Wallace, he was extremely disappointed to discover the intention to make the film as bloody and violent as the original's imitators, which had used such conventions to ensure their success. When it was released, pardon me, take a drink, it stumbled. 
when it was realized that he had no choice but to include these elements in the film, Wallace withdrew from the project, but he would get his way when he was offered and accepted the next film in the series, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982. Lance Guest, who played Jimmy, who was relatively unknown when he made the mo this film, or this movie, rather, went on to star with Dan O'Harely, who plays Cochran in Halloween 3, Season, Season of the Witch, in 1982, in the movie The Last Starfighter, 1984, in 1984, which... That's redundant because it said it twice. Which was directed by Nick Castle, who played the shape in Halloween, in the original. At around 1 hour 17 minutes, Jamie Lee Curtis did her own stunt when she falls out of the car onto the parking lot asphalt. Well, that'll give you a road rash. At around 14 minutes, when the mother and son leave the hospital, the mother mentions the boy biting a razor blade. This is based on a popular urban myth of children biting blades in apples given out on Halloween. However, if one reads the Snopes article about pins and needles in Halloween, Halloween candy. Most cases were hoaxes, were a hoax put forward by children and or parents. In reality, the kids who did die were specifically targeted, such as by parents. And not just one crazy person handing out bad candy to random people as the myth states. Tragically, in 1982, just one year after the movie's release, the urban myth would intensify because a man laced Tylenol with cyanide, with cyanide killing seven people. However, to this day, numerous investigations have found little to no evidence of any real tampering with Halloween candy, homemade or bought. And, okay. Hold on, everybody. I need to take a quick sip. No, I'm not drinking, oh, drinking, drinking them, huh? I'm enjoying some Pepsi. And it's regular Pepsi. I can't drink the diet stuff. Universal Studios released the film on Blu-ray in the United in the United States on September 13, 2011. It is packaged as a 30th anniversary edition and includes deleted scenes, pocket blue app, whatever the hell that means, and alternate alternate ending. And the 1984 documentary, 
feature Terror in the Isles, 1984. The release sparked controversy immediately due to the fact that Universal removed the credit Mustafa ACAD presents and replaced it with Universal and MCA Company presents in a font that did not match the rest of the opening credits. Akid's son, Malik Akid, called the stunt disgusting. It's a disgrace, obviously biased, objectively any horror fan would find this as an insult to the man who has done so much to the series. And to come after his tragic death, he's not even around to defend himself. It's classless. I'm talking to Universal now, and they're looking into it. However, Akin was still credited on the packaging. Fans immediately, let me repeat that again, fans immediately called for a boycott on the disc and set up a Facebook page. On November 28th, 28th, Universal started sending out emails announcing that the revised Blu-ray was now available if for owners of the previous disc to provide the studio with their address and daytime phone number. Shoot! Factory re-released the film in a two-disc two collector's edition Blu-ray on September 18, 2012. Under its new Scream factory label, with new special features, including two new audio co co uh, commentaries. Two new behind-the-scenes deleted scenes, an alternate ending, the theatrical trailer, TV and radio spots, and still gallery. Let me say that again. Still gallery. The collector's edition also contains the TV cut along with the script of the film to download on a second on a second DVD disc for both format releases. The new Blu-ray release restores the accurate credit. At around 11 minutes, Alice's friend Sally, the girl on the phone in the beginning of the movie, tells her the murders happened on or Orange Grove. This is the actual name uh, of the street where this film and Halloween 1978 were filmed. The houses that portray the Wallace and Doyle houses are on Orange Grove just north of Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, California. At the end, Hunt asks, what's the count, and is told 10 so far. 
But altogether, there are 12 victims between the first and two movies. There's the mechanic in the first movie where Loomis finds the truck with the hospital gown and where Michael got his overall coveralls. And also, poor Alice, the first victim in Halloween 2, who either hasn't been found yet or in actual actuality, her death was filmed by John Carpenter to post in post-production to get one more kill to make it scarier. If you're counting, if you're counting the novels based on the two movies, there are two additional victims. One is a guard who is killed at Smith's Grove the night Michael escapes and also the female news pr produce producer is killed when she discovers Michael has stowed away in her truck while trying to fix a flat tire. Which is how Michael drove himself to the area where the hospital is. That's not including poor Lester the German Shepherd and the dog he ate at his house. Yum. Leo Rossi, but who was who was bought in this film, introduced Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, to her future husband, Christopher uh, Christopher Guest, through their mutual celebrity softball league. Um. Okay, I'm gonna take a fucking break and let Paramount um, um, do a little. Actually, wait a minute. <laughs> Did we lose ourselves now? No, I'm trying to see how many, how much more I gotta fucking read. A lot. <laughs> Point, put it that way. It's a lot. Outside of that, we have a red light show outside our studios. Which is fun. And I had a I actually got nine pages left. You can go ahead. Ah. Okay. I need to have my smoke break. <laughs> Alright, we're going to talk some urban legends. On Halloween on Saturday, we're going to do Halloween. We're going to do urban legends. Uh, Simply because it's Halloween. Oh, yeah. We're trying, <laughs> we're trying to finish off the rest of the urban legends on Saturday. That's no, how that I gotta finish, um, finish, uh, a bunch of other stuff. A bunch of other stuff about the Halloween, each Halloween film. Yeah, and plus what I have in our email account that I still have to print out. Which we'll probably have to do tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'll try to bang them out tomorrow. Anyways, we're gonna talk some urban legends, and it's a spider! Another one. You know what I say when I see a spider? Where's the fucking rain? <laughs> Actually, in the picture, he's kind of cute. Although I've never seen a green spider before. Hang on. Let me look at it. How the fuck is that thing cute? It's green. It's just I don't give a shit if it's fucking purple. <laughs> Wait a minute. If it was purple, then I could understand you going, Grah! But anyways, A Spider Bite, Please Read is the title. 
And you thought the brown recluse was bad? Yeah, they're bad. I've seen three of my best friends in Florida swell up like a softball. Including my brother. And a balloon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which my mother fucking blames for me, by the, on me, by the way, too. Yeah, I know. But fortunately, we're taking a trip for this spider down to Florida! Three women in North Florida turned up at hospitals over a five-day period, all with the same symptoms. Okay, that's paranoia right there. Fever, chills, and vomiting. Followed by muscular collapse, paralyze, paralysis, or paralysis, sorry, and finally, death. There were no outward signs of trauma. Autopsy results shows toxicity in the blood. So what, they drank first, then got nailed by a spider? I don't know. Hmm. These women did not know each other. Surprising. And seem to have nothing in common. Shocking! Three dumb bitches, I guess. It was discovered, however, that they had all visited the same restaurant. Oh, here's the kid. Olive Yuck Garden. Within days of their deaths, the health department descended on the restaurant, shutting it down. Now I know why I never went to Avogadro. The food, water, and air conditioning were all inspected and tested to no availability. That's a head scratcher. Yeah. The big break came when a waitress at the restaurant was rushed to the hospital with similar symptoms. She told doctors that she had been on vacation and had only went to the restaurant to pick up her paycheck. She did not eat or drink while she was there, but had used the restroom. Da, <laughs> da. That it, that it, Take a drink. That is when one toxologist, remembering an article he had read, drove out to the restaurant, went into the shita, restrooms for your mouth-breathing idiots, and lifted the toilet seat. I hope this motherfucker was wearing gloves. (laughs) Under the seat, out of normal view, was a small spider. The spider was captured and brought back to the lab where it was determined to be the two stripped... Striped. Striped, sorry. I, I keep saying, thinking that's stripped. Um, oh, I can't even say this word. Telemonia. I was talking about the next one. Dimitida. Thank you. So named because it's reddish flesh color. 
The spider's venom is extremely toxic but can take several days to take effect. They live in cold, dark, damp climates and toilet rims provide just the right atmosphere. Huh. Makes me want to not go to go to the toilets here or at home. <laughs> now, I'll read, now I read that stuff. Several days later, a lawyer from Jacksonville showed up at a hospital emergency room before his death took toll. The doctor, or he told the doctor, sorry, that he had been away on business, had taken a flight from Indonesia, changing planes in Singapore before returning home. He did not visit Olive Yuck Garden. While there, he did, as did all of all the other victims, have what was determined to be a puncture wound on his <laughs> on his right ass cheek. Investigators discovered that the flight he was on had originated in India. Great, so India is sending spiders over here to kill people. Nice. That or they're from their wildlife or something, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, The CAB, Civilians Aeronarcotic Board, CAB, just short, I'll just say that. Yeah. Ordered an immediate inspection of the toilets, the shittas, of all flights from India and discovered the two strip striped spider nest and four different planes. <laughs> this is why I don't fucking fly. Or if you outside do, of that, you wait till you get till you get out of the plane. <laughs> or outside of that, in order for me to fly, I have to be drunk because I don't like heights. Going on a rooftop of a building—that's fine, but about fifty thousand miles in the air, no, thank you. But you would if. Uh... We started getting, we started actually getting called to do, you know, paranormal kinds of shit. Yeah, I mean, I want to try after I had my tumor in 2016. That figure out how to do, how to actually meet Zach <laughs> and see his museum. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but unfortunately, this pandemic fucked everybody. Uh, it is now believed that these spiders can be anywhere in the country. So please, before you use a public toilet or a shitter, lift the seat to check for spoilers. It can save your life. Please pass this on to everyone you care about. I would just pass it on to, the, to every Republican so they can die. And the Democrats. Um, you should read the comments. I was just about to ask. Should I read the comments? Yes. Would you like the to guys hear the comments? You would? Okay, here we go. Comments. This one has a few things wrong with it. Uh-oh. There is no such thing as the Journal of the United Medical 
Association, also known as UMA. Nor is it likely that any such article on this subject by Dr. Beverly Clark ever appeared in any medical journal. Additionally, the civil, or I should say CAB, disbanded in 1984. Shocking! <laughs> there have been no reliable and valid accounts of such mystery injuries or deaths at Olive Garden or any other restaurant. Okay. This urban legend has taken many forms over the years as it circulates more detail is removed or replaced to make it seem more believable and less like to joke it was probably intended to be. This latest version is stripped of many of the facts that made earlier versions easy to research and debunk. We'll hold right there. Now remember I did say that there was a lawyer that that had the bite mark in his ass and went to the doctors and the doctors seen it and proved it. Mm. Just keep reading. I think this bitch is crazy. <laughs> uh, the earliest internet version in 1999, I found links to mysterious death to Big Chappie's restaurant in Blair. If I said that right? Yeah. Airport in Chicago. Presumably in aberration of O'Hare. And identifies the spider as the hilarious named South American blush spider. Or Arachnus Jolitas. Okay. I know about Chicago O'Hare Airport. But I don't ever remember something being attached to it called Big Chappie's Restaurant. Omission of the fictitious airport and replacement of the equally fake spider with a real one too stripped telemonial. In this version, combined with a heady case of false attribution syndrome, also known as FAS, have given this old hoax new life. This is not a notice from the University of North Florida. The school became unwillingly affiliated with this hoax when one of its employees, presumably Officer Sylvia Steele, the thought her title seemed incongorgeous? Incon I don't know what the hell that is. Words are hard. With a position within the science department received and forwarded it 
inadvertently adding her signature and credibility to this message. Since it would seem that someone representing a university science department would know things like this, it makes sense to assume that our, our assume they are the source of it. Somewhere along the way, either chronologically coincidentally well I got it looks like it says coin Co well figure coincidentally or intentionally <coughs> references to Chicago were were replaced with North Florida to help the tale make more sense hmm well that's now a new head scratcher <laughs> And this was submitted by somebody in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. That's kind of creepy. But yet more head scratching. Oh, I like this one. Sunbathing spoiled. I didn't know spiders can sunbathe. Must have been one of their day offs. <laughs> uh, sunbathing spider. A young woman was sunbathing on the beach and was just about to drop off to sleep. Yeah, you really don't want to drop off to sleep on a beach if you're sunbathing. I know. Uh, when she felt an insect running along her jawbone and then back down her neck, she brushed it away and thought nothing more of it. After about a week, she noticed that she thought was a pimple growing and growing. The skin was inflamed. Inflamed. That's what I said, inflamed. And it looked like a blister. Then one day she was blown drying. Blow drying. Blow drying her hair and it and hit the inflamed spot with her hair dryer. The blistered skin broke open and hundreds of tiny white baby spiders and pus came pouring out of the wound. Ew! That's nasty! <laughs> it seems that while she was sunbathing, her pores had enlarged enough that a mama spider could deposit her egg sac in one. They incumbed under her skin until she smacked herself in the jaw with the hair dryer. That nasty. Uh, that would give like nightmares <laughs> for life. Sorry to say. Holy crap. Okay. Um. <laughs> I like this title. Shut your trap. <laughs> Depends on what trap you're talking about. <laughs> and this is, okay, this is from February 3rd, 2010. And it was folded under bugs and snakes. Which is weird in a lot of ways. Uh. There was once a man that fell asleep on his journey home from work on the last train of the day. 
Why do I got a feeling this is New York? It had been a particularly humid day and many people had used the train and left the windows open. Flies flew in and out of the carriage. Yeah, this sounds like something New York would do. As the man fell, fell into a deeper sleep, he laid still with his mouth open, generally snoring. Suddenly a fly flew into his mouth and down his throat, waking him. Suddenly he felt sick and strayed, stayed awake for the rest of the journey. As the days passed, he forgot about the incident, but started to feel unwell. Several weeks later, a friend called to his flat to check if he, had, if he was feeling any better as he had heard that he had not been into work. Upon entering the flat, he was sickened by a terrible smell uh, and on entering the man's lounge, found him dead on the settee, whatever the hell that is, with a large hole in his chest and maggots and flies swarming all over the room and his dead friend's rotten corpse. That will give you fucking nightmares. And this this was submitted from England. <laughs> so okay, so it was in New York. I was I was going more towards with the story of New York because they got some nasty subways and trains down there. But this came from England. I would have never put that together. Holy crap. And England is supposed to be beautiful. No, they turned it to New York City. Okay, let's see. Saved by the vest. Really? I'll give you a break. I'll read it up the rest of these nine pages. Really? It's gotta be a fucking snake for Saved by the Vest? What the hell? Uh, continuing on for trivia slash things you didn't know about Halloween 2. Around five and a half hours after this movie was released, another horror hospital picture with a crazed killer launched called Visiting Hours 1982. Both films featured a skull on their main movie posters. For Halloween 2, it was superimposed over a pumpkin. And for Visiting Hours, it was formed as a pattern of switched-on lights within the darkened shape building of the... Oh within the dark and shaped building of the hospital building. Moreover, the theme music for Visiting Hours was modeled after John Carpenter's iconic Halloween. 
1978 music score, which is also featured in Halloween 2. Doesn't it sound like a lawsuit? Kind of. <laughs> kind of what I was um, reading it a bit and trying to get it for a story. I, yeah. That's what I thought, too. I'm like, isn't this a lawsuit? It's got to be. You got to do research on that. According to the original script, there was a scene depicting the, the blonde reporter's death. Her car breaks down on the side of the road with her, with her getting assistance from a guy who hits on her. With her responding in disgust, the truck driver then leaves her. After the tire is replaced, she opens the trunk to Myers, who then kills her and takes the car as a nod to what he did in the first film. And drive. Huh? I didn't know he could drive. Anne Marie, Ma- Marie Ma- Martin came into production as a favor when additional footage was being shot. John Carpenter shot the scene that involved Martin and su- supporting cast member Pamela Susan Shoop. In the original Halloween, Dr. Loomis fires six shots from his gut from his revolver to stop Michael. In Halloween 2, during the replay of the scene from the first movie, he fires seven shots. Also, when Michael falls from the terrace, there's an obvious ramp leading to the top of the railing. Yeah. Dr. Lo- the gun Dr. Loomis uses is a six-shooter. An old six-shooter revolver. Yeah, so what's the seventh one? I don't know. That's what caught That's my eye interesting. as well. That's interesting. That's what caught my eye as well. That's something I didn't know for once. Anyway, most of the killings in this movie occurred on November 1st. Although Michael got the ball rolling on Halloween night in the first movie, most of the killings, with the exception of the security guard, occurred after midnight, November the 1st. This is one of the only slasher films in 1981 to remain uncut. Like others that have been heavily cut by the NPAA, Motion Picture Motion Picture Artists Association assholes such as Friday the 13th Part 2 1981 and My Bloody Valentine 1981 At around 30 minutes Leo Rossi sang, sang the song Amazing Grace because it was in the public domain Whatever. Due to its nudity and violence, the movie was banned in Iceland and West Germany, and later banned on video in Norway. Shocking. The scenes at the hospital, with the mother and her son dressed as a pirate, with the bleeding mouth, 
as a result of an injury from biting a razor blade, was originally supposed was originally supposed to be the first look at Carpenter and Hill's anthology idea for the franchise after this film. The word painted on blood that should actually say the word painted in blood on the chalkboard was Samine. The Celtic word refers to an ancient Irish holiday at the end of summer on October 31st. The Festival of Samine. The Festival of Samine. However, Dr. Loomis refers back to it as a title, being the name of a god of a god of worship, the Lord of the Dead. S- Samine is a Gaelic festival marking the end of the harvest season and beginning of winter, or the darker half. I'm going to say that again. Uh, the Gaelic festival marking the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter, or the darker season, darker half of the year. Most commonly, it is held on 31. October through the first of November, or halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, solstice, winter winter solstice. Sorry, along the embolic Beltine and Lunasta, it makes up the four Gaelic seasonal festivals. It is observed in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. Kindred festivals were held at the same time of year in other Celtic lands. For example, the Brythonic Callan Gaeth in Wales, Callan Gaeth in Cornwall, and Gallan Clavin. Clovenav in Brittany. John Carpenter spent time growing, growing up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and there are several references to Bowling Green and the surrounding areas. Smith Groves in Russellville are towns nearby. Bowling Green is in Warren County, where Haddonfield is set, and Elrod Chestnut, 31 West, Bypass, and Scottsville are all names of local streets in Bowling Green. Additionally, someone in the film makes a reference to the Lost River Drive-In, which was a real drive-in theater in Bowling Green. As the, story gro- as the story goes, the mask used in this film was the same mask used in the first Halloween, 1978-78, but the stunt mask Tony Morin and Jim Winburn used was different from the Nick Castle mask. 
The stunt mask from Halloween, from the first Halloween, was also used in this film. In the final scene, where Michael, Dick, Warlock, is shot in the eyes, this is the mask that is seen burning away in the end. Proven as Dick, Warlock, kept the hero original and mostly used mask for 20 plus years. The film's main movie poster tagline, more of the night he came home, was an extension of one of the original 1978's main movie poster taglines which stated the night he came home. Dick Warlock made sure that everyone was safe when they filmed the death scenes. For example, during Leo Rossi's death scene where he is strangled from behind, he told the latter to arch his back and arms further as he gave four tugs. Telling him to go limp after the fourth tug and he would cushion the fall. I bet he did. <laughs> Sorry. Tells him to go limp. That's what she said. <laughs> or would that be he said? Either way. The real life location of the Haddonfield home was located in the center of West Hollywood. The alternate television version of the movie has been known to be called the producer's cut. The entirety of the opening first three minutes of the film is simply archive footage from the previous film. The director used theoretical differences to enhance his version of the ending. For some reason, the very first Australian DVD opens with the 1990s Paramount logo, even though Paramount never distri distributed any of the Halloween films at that point. And there's another one I'm right on. Really? Yep. Hmm. I wonder what the reason for that was. Don't know. Probably because maybe Paramount was just starting to become motion picture at the time. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Due to a three-year period between the filming of Halloween 78, 1978 and Halloween 2, 1981, the Wallace and Doyle house changed quite a bit over those three years. A noticeable difference was in the Doyle house, which was the balcony that Michael falls off during the recap of the ending of the first film. In a rough draft, of the script, Michael Myers was supposed to hide in the trunk of the blonde reporter's car. The car was to get a flat tire. She'd go to her trunk and Myers would jump out and kill her. However, this scene, that scene, yeah, I'm going to say it that way. This scene was cut due 
to it not really having much of a purpose in the overall plot of the film. The exterior hospital scene shot with Dick Warlock. No, I'm not picking on my brother because he has the nickname for Richard. But it's just funny to say it that way. Dick Warlock as the shape were shot at Morningside Hospital in Los Angeles. In society, the movie society, I believe, 1989, the exterior hospital scenes were shot at Morningside Hospital with Billy Warlock, Dick Warlock's son, as the lead actor. The film's production notes on the DVD state that this movie had a sequel concept that may not have been exercised since The Bride of Frankenstein which was came out in 1935, that year of 1935. The movie was shot on location all around the greater Los Angeles region. The U.S. released prints opened with a Dino D. Laurinaitis, not the same Laurinaitis, different spelling, Corporations film, while international prints open with Mustafa Akid presents. The film takes place from October 31st to November 1st, 1978. Director Rick Rosenthal had to go to bat for the casting of Leo Rossi as Bud. So the, see, there's confirmation on that one. Most of the actors portraying hospital staff were in Rick Rosenthal's acting class. That's one way to get, to get your ass in A. <laughs> and to get your ass in one of his films. Or actually any film. Deborah Hill years later knocked Dick Warlock's portrayal as Michael Myers, claiming he didn't move as well as the castle or have his body language. Dick! defended himself, saying he followed her instructions all the time while she was on the set. And she never showed any dissatisfaction with his work at the time of filming. Oh, so she was a cunt. More like backstabber. That too. Dana Carvey, yes, the Dana Carvey, who has a brief cameo in this film, went on to star as Mike Myers in the two Wayne's World films. This marks the last Halloween movie that Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance were in together. One of the nine collaborations of actor Donald Pleasance and director, writer, or let me say that again. Writer, director, producer John Carpenter. The movies include six Halloween films, though Carpenter did not work on four of them, but was credited for characters and music. Two of the others being Prince of Darkness, 1987. Sorry, Richie, that ain't you. 
That's more of freaking Alex, actually. <laughs> An Escape from New York, 1981. Gloria G Gifford and Anna... Anna... Anna Alisa... Alyssa, I think. I'm sorry. Were both in acting classes with director Rick Rosenthal. There are two stories behind who had ownership of the mask before filming. Story one goes that Deborah Hill had the mask for, for the period between 1978 and 1981 in a shoebox under her bed and her heavy smoking caused it to go yellow. This is the story most people know. Story two is that Nick Castle had the original mask on display in his home until Deborah Hill asked to borrow it to film the sequel, telling Castle that he would get it back at the end of filming on Halloween, on Halloween 2, 1981. But Nick Castle never got the mask back. It is theorized that Castle could have had the stunt mask and that Deborah Hill had asked to borrow it as the stunt mask is the one destroyed in the sequel and also because Dick Wallach claimed that he had kept the original mask after filming wrapped for 20 plus years the revolver Loomis gives to Lori, which he took off the marshal at the end, is a cult trooper MK3. I was right on that one too. However, it can be dif it can be differentiated from the similar Smith and Wesson Model 19 by its grips and cylinder notches. Lori shoots Michael twice in the eyes with it. In reality, it would have blown his head apart. The voice that inquires Dr. Loomis at the, at the beginning of the movie, I've been trick-or-treated trick to death tonight. In the film's theoretical trailer is not the same as the one in the movie itself. Even though Jamie Lee Curtis receives top billing, Donald Pleasance has a lot more screen time. Dick Wallach was 41, playing the 21-year-old Michael Myers. Miss Dr. Yeah, Dr. Mixter was named after one of Rick Rosenthal's friends. Even though both stars have been billing alongside Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis and Charles Cyphers have very little screen time, especially compared to the first film. Jamie Lee Curtis has roughly 25 minutes on screen of screen time. 
take a drink and stumble. Jamie Lee Curtis has roughly 25 minutes of screen time, while Charles Cyphers is only in the film for the first 20 minutes, while only having roughly 10 minutes of screen time. At around 24 minutes, although uncredited, actress Anne-Marie Martin played Karen's friend, Darcy Esmond, who needed a ride home after the Halloween party they attended. She was billed under her real name, Eddie Benton, as a rival opposite Jamie Lee Curtis in the... Canadian horror horror film Prom Night, 1980, the year before. Debut feature film as a director for. Oh wait, let me say that again. Debut feature film as a director for Rick Rosenthal, as revealed by the sheriff's deputy's patch. Let me say that again. Patch. Haddonfield supposedly exists in Warren County, Illinois. Warren County is actually in Northeast Illinois. Warren County more likely refers to the county in Kentucky, which contains the city of Bowling Green where John Carpenter grew up. Final appearance of Lucille Benson in a theoretically released film. Was released in theaters the same year as Friday the 13th Part 2. Same year I was born. Which stars infamous serial killer Jason Voorhees. Both Both movies include a scene where a law enforcement officer is killed with a hammer claw to the head. Yeah, I remember that. Talk about a headache. From the time the sequel was conceived, it was decided that the film would feature more bloodletting and graphic violence in general. This was in contrast to the previous Halloween production. Following the previous movie, Michael Myers never runs. The way Janet discovers Dr. Mixter's corpse is, is identical to the way Miss Bates' corpse is found in Psycho 1960 and is immediately attacked by the killer thereafter, though the one in Psycho actually survives. It isn't surprising given that Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Marion Crane, who is the star of Psycho. And Halloween takes many of Psycho's elements and dates. Although there are hard to make out, the full names of the nurses are visible on their name badges throughout the film. They are Virginia Elves, or Alves, her middle initial is D on her locker door, Karen Bailey, Jill Franco, and Janet Newhall. 
Dr. Mixter's full name is visible in promotional stills of Lori, Loomis, and Marion washing as the shape breaks through the glass door. It is on the, on the sign beside the door to the cafeteria and reads, Dr. Roger C. Mixter, Jr. But Jimmy's surnames are never mentioned. Mr. Garrett's name badge simply reads Garrett. Mrs. Alves is named after production designer Joe Alves, while, jo while Jill Franco is named after producer Larry Franco, who both worked with John Carpenter on his early film, on his earlier film, Escape from New York, 1981. Jamie Lee Curtis married Christopher Guest shortly after making this movie, which featured Lance Guest as their love interest. However, the two are not related. But fellow co-star Leo Russi did introduce her to her future husband, Christopher Guest, who starred in This Is Spinal Tap with their other co-star, Gloria Gif Gifford. What are you looking for? Uh, Donald Pleasance also plays a character called Loomis in the non-Halloween movie Innocent Bystanders 1972. Playing Annie Brackett, one of the cast members in Halloween 2, Nancy Keyes, or Keys, was also called Loomis. Her billing name in the credits being Nancy Loomis. As well as the previous Halloween, Michael Myers never talks. After the first, bleh, let me say that again. After the nurse discovers Dr. Bit Mixter's body, Michael emerges from the shadows precisely as he did at one point in the first film. Or perhaps, just like in the first film, the viewer's eyes adjust to the darkness in time to see in time to see him. Meaning he was there the whole time. David Lynch relation to you? No. Okay. At that point, only known for Eraserhead and the Elephant Man was briefly considered to direct. After Mrs. Alves sent Janet to inform Mr. Garrett of the issues with the phone line, Mrs. Alves hangs up the phone in Lori's room again and dials 666 before completely giving up. Nurse Karen's car is a 1965 Ford Mustang. Fallen road dead, driver return on foot. Fucked on race day. For old retarded drivers. <laughs> Jimmy's car. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am. Jimmy's car is a 1957 Chevy Bel Air 2400. Yes! 
Nick Castle could not reprise his role in the sequel, Halloween 2, because he was busy starting his directing career. That's why he was replaced by Dick Warlock, who has developed a strong following among fans along the castle. During filming, Castle kept the mask in his back pocket, so the spray paint wore off rather quickly. This, along with dust and Deborah Hill's cigarette smoke, contributed to the discoloration of the mask over time, which is why people think the sequel think the sequel had a different mask. So it was the original mask. It was kind of not kept well. The MCA home video cassette release, it, release of the movie on VHS and beta formats in the USA, retailing at a price of US $101 per unit, set a sale price record when it was launched in 1982. When the medics are, roll, are rolling Lori into the hospital and go through the outside door. The sign to the right reads, Caution, Automatic Door. At conventions, Dick Warlock sings, yes, sings, signs his autographs as Michael Myers H2. If you don't know what the hell that synthesizes, uh, you really don't know your Halloween franchise. The Marshall's car is a 1960. Yes, 60. Let me say that again. Take a drink. The Marshall's car is a 1976 Dodge Coronet. Coronet. The, the style used in the opening credits for the two leads where the names are staggered is known as first place above and below. Reading from left to right, Donald Pleasance's name is first followed by Jamie Lee Curtis, whose name is a little more above his, Shacking. This is also the way Steve McQueen's and Paul Newman's names are in the opening credits of the Towering Inferno. It's meant to give equal top billing to the film's leads. At around eight minutes, the chalkboard hanging in the Elrod's kitchen displays a name and number, minus the area code of someone to call before 9 a.m. At around eight minutes, oh, I just said that. The name of the f medical facility was the Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. Its synchronym abbreviation was HMH. Dick Warlock sold the mask, knife, scalpel, boots, and jumpsuit to a haunted house owner in Ohio in 2003. That, that just means uh, he's a he was a douchebag. Warlock claims 
that because the producers expected this film to be the last film in the series, they let him keep the mat, keep the costume. However, after they did Halloween 4, they realized that they made a mistake and never again let cast and crew take props from the set. Therefore, subsequent equals used different masks, masks to, that looked rather different. The mask, Dick Wallach, wore, in, wore is actually the exact same mask, a repainted and modified Captain Kirk mask worn in the original film. It looks different in the sequel because the paint had faded due to a few reasons. First, because Nick Castle, the original Michael, you know, kept in his back pocket during shooting, and Deborah Hill kept the mask under a bed until the filming of Halloween 2 several years later, causing it to collect dust in yellow because she was a heavy smoker. Okay, I'm starting to notice some of these are, have been constantly redone. Rewritten. But, hold on. The mask appears wider because Dick Wallach is shorter and stockier at 5'9 than Nick Castle's who's 5'10. So the mask fit his head differently. I'm trying to find out how many different masks were made and everything, and I'm trying to find it. But it might be in different ones that I have, or ones you still have to print. But here's another thing. What? The emails you sent me. We got Halloween. Yeah. Halloween 2. Yeah. Halloween 3. Which I have over here. Halloween 4. I have over here. And Halloween 5, right? Yeah. Well, here's a new one. What? Halloween 6. Yeah. That was, I believe, Resurrection or H2O. Or the something. Curse of Michael Myers. Okay, yeah. There's the one I was, I was, was trying to remember. One. Hang on. Yeah, Halloween 6. Um, was, yeah, Halloween 6 was Curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. But as I'm... Excuse me. As I'm looking at the mask right now, yeah, the very first one, it's white, yeah, with eyebrows, <laughs> closed mouth, left eye, kind of like an oval shape, yeah. The right eye is like bigger. Yeah. That's how the eye holes were supposed to be. Then in the next one. It has wrinkles. Yeah. And it's like a grayish white. Like a dark gray, but little white into yeah. it. Then in another one, it looks like... Um, like rubber. Yeah. And it doesn't look like the first two. The next one looks like Mark Zuckerberg's face. 
<laughs> I'm dead serious. It looks like Mark Zuckerberg's face. But I just don't get how they can keep changing it. I mean, Halloween and Halloween 2 is the same mask. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't mention about Halloween 3. No. But it goes to Halloween 4. Yeah. And in Halloween 4, it's all white with black eyebrows. Yeah. Mouth slightly open, but it's straight lined. Yeah. With no lips. And his hair is back. I don't know. In Halloween 5... Yeah. The right eyebrow is really thin. The left eyebrow, which will come down to just the bridge of your nose, is thick. The left eye looks like an alien eye. Uh The right eye looks normal. Yeah, most people go for the original mask. And in Halloween 5, the eyebrows are brown. I don't know. That will be, I'll be able to touch up on that when I read those. Anywho. Dick Morlock suggested that his son play the team carrying the radio. The Elrod knife that Michael killed Alice with was an unknown brand and the schoolhouse knife was a Victorinox Farshner slicing knife. Dick Warlock is one of the two actors who played Michael to have an official website, the other being George P. Wilbur. As in, oh, Wilbur. Deputy Gary's car is a 1977 Dodge Monaco. Sheriff Brackett's car is a 1974 Dodge Monaco. Two of the actors appeared in multiple episodes of the TV series The The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. Charles Cipher's Lee Brackett played a space alien in three episodes of Six Million Dollar Man and one episode of Bionic Woman. Ford Rainey, Dr. Mixter, had a recurring role as Steve Austin's father in both shows. And I don't think it's the uh, retired wrestler, so don't, keep, don't ask if it says if it's him. Because it's a no. Two actors in this movie sequel appeared in the Jaws franchise. Jeffrey Kramer in Jaws and Jaws 2 while Lance Guest appeared in Jaws The Revenge. Two cast cast members of Halloween 2 Anne-Marie Martin and Billy Warlock appeared on the daytime soap opera Days of Our Lives during the 80s 
as Gwen Davies and Frankie Brady. Days of our lives were like days of we're there. <laughs> no, I'm not a soap opera type. Now, I'm going to read some spoilers. Which, uh, which I'm going to end up continue reading on. May give away important plot points. The 17-year-old who was hit by the police car and burnt alive, at first believed to be Michael Myers, was supposed to be Ben Tramer, the boy Laurie confesses to have a crush on in the original Halloween, 1978. The name of Ben Tramer is a reference to John Carpenter's friend, friend Bennett Tramer. They went to USC, University of Southern California, as Tramer wrote sequels for Saved by the Bell, 1989. In addition to his role as The Shape, Michael Myers, Dick Warlock also appears as the policeman who accidentally hits Ben Tremor with his patrol car and crashes it into a van. Warlock not only drove the car himself during the crash scene, but also did all, all his own stunts as Michael Myers. So there's another actor who actually did their own stunts. At around one hour and ten minutes, when Michael tries to attack Lori as she's climbing through the window, the scalpel that he's holding was actually just an eraser on a stick. <laughs> really? Interesting. Though Jamie Lee Curtis has top billing, she only appears on screen for approximately 25 minutes and 21 seconds. What a record. That doesn't really mean she was the lead. If you got that, only get that amount of screening time. This applies only to the theoretical version. In the TV version, she has a few extra scenes. Go figure, it's the TV version. They have to add some, some sh extra shit in it when it's on TV. The sequel was originally intended to be the final film to feature Michael Myers, Dr. Sam Loomis, and Larry Strode. Producer, writer, John Carpenter purposely killed off Myers and Dr. Loomis because he wanted to end the Haddonfield storyline. When he asked to do the second sequel, when he was asked to do a second sequel, he chose to continue the franchise as a mythology of non-related horror stories that take place during Halloween, such as lace candy and freaking Raises and apples. <laughs> he co-wrote and produced Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 
as a standalone movie, which was 1982, but fans were disappointed because they saw Dr. Loomis. Wait. Well, skip the line. But fans were disappointed because they saw Halloween and Michael Myers as a symphonist. Yeah, symphonist. Symphonist. Another thing you can't say unless you're drunk. The studio chose to revive both Myers and Dr. Loomis without Carpenter for the actually titled Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, 1988, which recons the the events of Halloween 2. And I actually have that one, too, right next to me. Which I actually have stuff you didn't know on that one. In the Blu-ray release, which included the documentary for Halloween 2, the 81 version, several of the cast members remember the filming of the last scene. The operating room scene was shot on a soundstage that replicates the hallway and operating room to achieve the explosion that kills Myers. The cast were outside the soundstage and recalled that they could feel the soundstage. Take a drink, I stumbled. Feel the the sound page, the soundstage shake from outside as the desired explosion was admitted to be more than what the stunt team expected and was much bigger. This is why Jamie Lee Curtis actually falls when it goes off. This was not her supposable fault. This, the, her pre- Blah, 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 blah. okay. This is why Jamie Lee Curtis actually falls when it goes off. This was not her purposely falling. Jimmy's fate is left unclear in the theatrical theatrical cut as he simply collapses in his car. From a concussion after he slipped on on the puddle of blood. However, in the alternate ending, he is revealed to have survived with bandages over his head and sharing an ambulance with Laurie to be transferred to another hospital. Oh. At around 57 minutes, Anna Alyssa, Alyssa hit a desk and cut one of her eyes open during the shooting of her death scene. Ouch. She wanted director Rick Ro- Rosenthal to keep filming, but he called cut so she could go to the emergency room and get 12 stitches. The California scene with Janet, Bud, and Jimmy was filmed later so they could use alternate camera angles and heavy makeup to hide her stitches. Uh, after you get stitches, you're not supposed to have any makeup on just so they heal more, heal right. Michael Myers was shot a total of 14 times in the film, 
seven before he collapsed from the Doyle residence, an inconsistent continuation from the first film. Five after he confront, confronted bleh, confronted Dr. Loomis, Laurie, and Nurse Marion Chambers at the front doors of the clinic, and twice by Laurie in the operating room. Body count ten. Ten are killed. Ten of nine are killed by by Michael. One is killed in a traffic accident. Oh, that's gonna suck. Well, um, he killed most of them, except for one. At around twenty-six minutes, the kid with the with the boombox walks walks by Michael. Dick Warlock is played by his real-life son, Lance Warlock, his older son, his other son, his oldest, Billy Warlock, appears as a teenager named Craig, who asks Deputy Gary if he's seen Bennett, Tramer, who Dr. Loomis suspects, was the man with the mask who got run over it Immolated, immolated. At around 57 minutes, Janet's death scene is commonly misperceived by viewers and critics. I'm also hating my brother on Ellen. From appearing as if Michael Myers is inserting the syringe into her eye. Due to the angle and brevity of the shot. However, close scrutiny on the DVD and Blu ray shows the needle is actually being inserted into her temple. That's forehead, for forehead or somewhere in the head for you people. Where he injects a large air bubble into her brain. This fact is also confirmed in the film's shooting script. Uh, coming down to the last two pages. At around 22 minutes, Dana Carvey made his movie debut in the movie, in this movie, playing an assistant. He can be seen receiving receiving instructions from a blonde reporter in front of the Wallace house. Carvey can be seen again at the end of the movie at around an hour and 27 minutes when the film crew shows Lori to be wait to the waiting ambulance. He was just nothing but an extra with no lines, I don't think. Pamela Susan's shoop. Shoop! <laughs> Karen got an ear infection during filming of her death scene. As the water in the hot tub was apparently none that. none too clean. Okay, I'll uh, paraphrase this one. The water in the, t in the hot tub. Wasn't clean. Or too clean. Shocking. At around 19 minutes, the stunt 
with Ben Tremor, Tremor being hit by a police car, was done in a single shot. At around an hour and 23 minutes, Donald Pleasance did his own stunt when he falls down after Michael Myers stabs him in the, in the hospital operating room. At around 26 minutes, the scene with the kid that has the boombox has been concluded to be the only link that Michael Myers knew to go to the hospital to follow after Laurie Strode. An interview with John Carpenter revealed that the whole Michael and Laurie being brother and sister was a consequence of the airing of the original, original Halloween on television. After NBC had obtained the television broadcast rights, they contacted him with the request for more footage. Since the film was too short for the intended time slot, Carpenter, who was making little progress on his Halloween 2 script, then conceived on the whole hidden family connection inspired by the Luke, I am your father. Revelation from Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, which was 1980. This twist also allowed him to film additional scenes for Halloween, for his Halloween 78. Which retroactively dropped hints that this family connection, such as a scene inside Michael Myers' cell where the word sister is carved onto the door, and at the same time served as a plot device to get his new script going. Carpenter later said, the brother thing was awful. Just awful. I'm pretty sure you have a lot of people that were fans of it uh, probably would be telling Carpenter wrong. The boy that Laurie has a wist, wistful crush on in the first film, 17-year-old Bennett Tre Tremor, Tremor, however you want to fucking say his name, is painfully realized by Deputy Hunt and Dr. Loomis to be the victim of the car crash involving the police cruiser and not Michael Myers. It was Deputy Hunt's yellow lighter offered to Dr. Loomis while the Myers home was being attacked by the locals that set off the explosion that consumed him and Michael Myers near the end of the film. Michael breaks into a school and drives a knife into a child's drawing of, their, of her family, specifically the young girl depicted. Loomis remarks, sister, at the site, apparently drawing the parallel between Michael's vandalism and his killing of his sister 15 years prior. After the reveal 
it becomes clear that Michael was expressing hatred for his younger sister as well. Alice was the only casualty of the Elrod stolen kitchen knife. Michael stabs her to death with the knife, but never uses it again. As he starts heading to the hospital, to the hospital, instead using a scalpel later in the film. That's another one I'm right on, Richie. In the hospital, Lori dreams about her mother telling her that she's adopted and of visiting a boy in a different hospital. Later, it becomes clear that the boy is a young Michael. Jamie Lee Curtis has less than 25 minutes of screen time in, the mo in this movie. 44 minutes in, when Donald Pleasance and the sheriff's deputy are talking outside the Myers house. They are asked by two boys about a missing teen, Ben Tramer, giving you the impression he is the individual killed in the burning car accident. Ben Tremor, Tramer, is the boy Lori refers to in the first Halloween, who was sh who as who she would like to go to prom with. Guy wasn't that that good looking. <laughs> the revelation that Michael is Lori's older brother suggests that in the opening of the first film. When he is walking towards his parent with a bloody knife, while they were coming out of the car, he might well have been on his way to murder her as a child while she was sitting in the back seat. In the film, Laurie is admitted to room number eight. Jimmy and Nurse Jill discuss their plans to find the missing staff in front of room 25. Jimmy finds Mrs. Elf's body in the, in the minor surgery room and when they are chased by Michael, Dr. Loomis and Lori hide next to her in the operating room. Michael's weapon of choice to kill, the butcher knife, is only used once in this film on a victim, the girl chatting on the phone with a friend. Shocking. <laughs> this would, this was the only time in the in the franchise and its reboots that this weapon is hardly utilized throughout his continuous killing sprees in each of the films. Michael is in the opening, yeah, opening operating area a total of four times throughout the film. Once is when Mrs. Elves tries to call Lori's parents. There is a frame of him entering. Two is when he kills Mrs. Elves off screen. Three is when he is searching for Lori, showing him going through the double doors 
from a faraway shot. And when he has his final battle with Dr. Loomis and Laurie in the major operating room. The defeat of Michael Myers at the end of this film bears similarity to the defeat of Count Dracula in the end of Dracula 1979, which Donald Pleasence had, had also appeared in. Please don't tell me he was Van Helsing. Ben Tramer's death foreshadowed the way Michael allegedly died at the end. But, no but, I mean both characters are completely engulfed in flames as the result of an explosion. That, everybody, is everything you didn't know and some spoilers about Halloween 2, 1981. And I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, Paramike's going to read a couple more urban legends, which uh, he stopped at Saved by the Vest. <laughs> Sounds like a really bad Saved by the Bell thing. Yeah, literally. And then after that, I want to do some shout-outs. Okay. To our followers on our Facebook account. Why, they asked for, fo- for shout-outs? Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. That's a new thing. Okay. Hang on. And then after that, uh, uh, we're going to do stop. Part three. Well, huh? well, we're going to stop because uh, it's getting close to dinner time. Oh, yeah. And He's everything. grumpy when he doesn't eat on certain times. Yeah. Okay. Well, then tomorrow we'll, um, we're going to start, obviously, with me. Yes. Um, doing... Nine things you may not know about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Trust me, going through each motherfucking film to find things you may not know is a bitch. Yes, it is. And I got, and I forgot. Uh One of my friends said, you know, you did like the things that people didn't know about Chucky. Yeah. But if you're going to do... Each film, things people might not know about the Hall- each Halloween film, you may have to do the same thing with the Chucky films. Mm-hmm. That's what we started doing. I know. But due to the fact it it's Halloween, Halloween. Yeah. season and people want to see freaking Halloween sh- see or see Halloween shit. Yeah. Gonna fin- try to barrel through the best we can, or I can, with each of the rest of the films, yeah, that includes the Rob Zombies one, yeah, ones. which I will work on trying to put it together and get it printed out while you're reading the stories. Yeah, and so, so we'll get to right now. See. This one, Uh-oh. the last two, they're supposed to be coming out in the next couple of year, next year or so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do after. I go back and look up things you didn't know about every single Chucky film. Right. Go ahead, dear. All right. So we're going to do another Urban Legends, and then after that, I'll do a shout-out. This one is called Saved by the Vest. While cooking dinner one night, Aunt G 
opened the cupboard. She intended to pull out some flour, but instead she received a nasty surprise. A python jumped out at her. Oh, going in the cabinet. Yeah! <laughs> Holy shit. <coughs> she slammed the cabinet and with lightning speed, all 300 pounds of her made it down the stairs to a neighbor in less than 30 seconds. More like down the street to a neighbor. <laughs> That's one way to catch a cardio and lose that much weight. <laughs> no, but... Really, you have to tell us that your Aunt G weighs 300 pounds? <laughs> Good God, I'm surprised she can fit through a door. Uh, from there, she called the police. When the cops arrived on the scene, one of them opened the same cabinet. The snake again lashed out but this time succeeded in making contact with the officer's chest. Ow. Luckily, however, it sunk its teeth into a mouthful of bulletproof vest. He then slung it to the ground, stepped on his head, and chopped it off. That's another way to get some snakeskin boots. <laughs> or snakeskin gloves. Either way. New purse. That too. After a brief investigation, it was discovered that the previous year, a neighbor had kept a python as a pet. It had gotten loose and they'd been unable to locate it until now. Let it be known that Aunt G's house spelled like mothball. Smelled. It, it says spelled, but she exactly. I just caught that. Smelled like mothballs. Just I just caught it. that. Just paraphrase it. I just caught that after I said it. Holy crap! That is nuts. But really, you have to say your grandmother, your aunt, was 300 pounds and ran within 30 seconds? No way. I'd say maybe 45 to 50 seconds, I could understand. True. But not 30 seconds. Well, no way. over the years, a lot of people that are like big bone, might as well say, do move pretty quick. Yeah. Depends on how fast your adrenaline goes. Well, shit, remember, my. My father weighs a little, weighed a little over 300 pounds at one point. And he still couldn't run that fast. Now, now, uh, he, he can actually kept up, keep up to you on foot. Yeah, since I'm old and broken. <laughs> All right, time to do some shout outs for people following our Facebook. Before you do that, I gotta read this one. Uh-oh. Mulch warning. If you use mulch around your house, be very careful about buying mulch this year. This, of course, was dropped February 3rd, 2010. Must have said that ago. Huh? 10 years ago. Yeah. After the hurricane in New Orleans, many trees were blown over. 
These trees were then turned into mulch, and the state is, was trying to get rid of tons and tons of this mulch to, to any state or company who would come and haul it away. So it, so it would ended up showing up in Home Depot and Lowe's at dirt cheap prices with one huge problem. Formicin termites will, would be the bonus in many of those bags. <laughs> that guy that don't live anywhere that has mulch. New Orleans is one of the few areas in the country for the formicin termites has gotten a stronghold and most of the trees blown down were already badly infested with those termites. <laughs> now we may, now or then, they may have had the worst case of transporting a problem to all parts of the country that they had ever seen, ever had. These termites can eat a house in no time at all, and there apparently is no good control against them. So tell your friends that own houses to avoid cheap mulch and know where it came from and find out where it came from. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, I know, what, I know a couple of things that will stop... Uh, those critters from eating your place. Yeah. Brick, steel, titanium. Can't bite through those. Can't eat through that. Imagine coming home one day and your house ain't there no more. What the hell happened? True. Two more. There we go. That's why I don't deal with mulch. The man who owned the merry-go-round, or owned a merry-go-round, this was uh, dr dropped... In February 3rd, 2010, a man who owned the merry-go-round decided to close it down because he didn't have enough customers coming to the amusement park where he held the ride. Hmm. Instead of buying the owner out, the park simply boarded up the carousel, and this part of the park part of the park became very much abandoned over these over a number of years some 10 years after the ride was closed the original owner's daughter thought it was a shame to have the beautiful merry-go-round and boarded up if forgotten in this manner she and her boyfriend decided to bring some publicity to the park and to the ride and reopened the carousel. The boyfriend was going to set a, a record and ride the miracle round for 72 hours straight. Damn! How the fuck do you have to stop to take a piss or eat? A pee bag uh, hooked up with his nuts? That's the only way I can think of. Okay, how if the guy had to take shit? Hopefully he has a bucket in his pants. <laughs> The boards were removed, the lights and music turned on, and the press had arrived. 
He made a big show of patting his chosen horse on the nose. It's a fucking toy metal plastic horse. It ain't fucking real. <laughs> it's that Mr. Ed. The mount, in mounting the horse, he will be riding for the next 72 hours. Surprisingly, he was on the ride for less than 10 minutes when he started complaining that the horse bit him. <laughs> what? Was this fucker drunk or high? On the ride for less than 10 minutes and he started complaining that the horse bit him. <laughs> the one he was sitting on. Yeah. Was this a horse real? No. I'm looking at a picture of it. It's it's fucking plastic and fucking metal. How the hell? I don't know. No one believed him, and his girlfriend became very upset, saying that he was letting her down and backing out of the promise he had made. At about five minutes later, he fell off the horse to the floor of the ride. They shut off the ride and ran to investigate. The young man was dead. The upset girlfriend began shaking in disbelief and backed up into the horse he was riding, which immediately began to hiss violently. Whoa. They looked into the horse's mouth and saw that a poisonous snake was hiding inside it. Well, that I would explain him getting hit bit by the horse. And let's see. There's no comments on that one. <laughs> Where was this at? It didn't say. That's the weird thing. Don't lick envelopes. Need to find out find out where that story originated from, and what where this carousel was. This was uploaded the same the same year and month day. Person of this of the article wrote, receipt. They had received this submittal as a group of stories and testimonials, on why you should avoid licking envelopes from now on. As if anyone uses snail mail anymore. Kidding, kidding. The person used to work for an envelope company. The plant supervisor used to work in the Chicago plant and told us not to lick the envelopes because they would often find dead rats at the bottom of the glue barrel after thousands of envelopes had been glued and shipped. Ew. The person that worked in a factory, and they had, the person had two employees who used to work in an envelope factory. They told me that when the machine jammed up, they would, they would, They'd use whatever water is handy to thin out the glue. This includes water that they just mopped the floor with. 
Since then, the person avoided licking envelopes. If you lick your envelopes, you won't anymore. A woman was working in a post office in California. One day, she licked the envelopes and postage stamps instead of using a sponge. That very day, the lady cut her tongue on the envelope. A week later, she noticed an abnormal swelling of her tongue. I've had that done before. She went to the doctor, but they found nothing wrong. Her tongue was not sore or anything. A couple of days later, her tongue, yeah, her tongue, her tongue started to swell more, and it began to get so sore that she could not eat. She went back to the hospital and demanded something be done. Doctor took an X-ray of her tongue and noticed a lump. He prepared her for minor surgery. When the doctor cut her tongue open, a live cockroach crawled out. Oh! <laughs> there were roach eggs on the seal of the envelope. Oh! The egg was able to hatch inside of her tongue because of her saliva. It was warm and moist. <laughs> this I is a it true, was. This was a true story reported on CNN. Andy Hume wrote, Hey, I used to work in an envelope factory. You wouldn't believe the things that float around in those gum applier trays. I haven't licked an envelope in years. That's what she said. And another person wrote to all, I used to work for a print shop 34 years ago. Due to the fact this was back in 2010, quite a few years at quite a few years ago. And we were told never to lick the envelopes. I never understood why. Until I had to go into storage and pull out 2,500 envelopes that were already printed for a customer who was doing a mailing and saw several squads of roaches roaming around inside a couple of boxes with eggs everywhere. They ate the glue on the envelopes. I thought, I think print shops have a harder time controlling roaches than a restaurant. I always buy the self-sealing type. Or if need be, I use a glue stick to seal one that has the type of glue that needs to be wet the lick. <laughs> wow. Findings. A quick visit to hoaxslayer.com revealed that the above email can't possibly be true. Well, at least the part about the roach eggs. On the woman's tongue, anyway. Here's what they found. You mean in the woman's tongue? That, yeah. A little research on the subject reveals that roach eggs are actually laid in... (coughs) Sorry. Roach eggs are actually laid in batches and stored in in an egg case. Depending on the species, each egg case can hold as many as 52 individual eggs. 
and the eggs cannot survive outside this case. Therefore, if the story were true, the hapless victim would have ended up with a mouthful of the critters rather than just one. <laughs> also, the egg cases are quite large, and that's what she said, and even if one did end up on the lickable portion of the envelope, it is quite unlikely that the person doing the licking would not have noticed it. What's more, the claim that the story was reported on CNN appears to be appeared to be false. A search of the CNN site reveals no mention of it. Shocking. <laughs> Anybody want to lick some envelopes? <laughs> Nope, that's why I get the self-sealed ones. Or if not, I got a package of glue sticks sitting right over there. Okay, you can do your shout-outs. All right, shout-outs to people that are following this podcast show on our Facebook. Starting off with Emerald Paranormal. Yeah. Thanks for following. Next, Paranormal Investigators Haunted Places. <laughs> another, another one, excellent. Right here in our own backyard, Paranormal. in the great state of PA, the Pennsylvania Paranormal Association. Yep. Which is awesome. If you want to check out their website, it's thepPA.net. Or you can find them on Facebook. That too. Um, the Singular 14 Society Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raven Haunt PDX Paranormal Investigators. Yeah. Thanks for following. Uh, they know my co-host very well. Uh, now I'm, I'm doing it. I'm part of the groups. Now I'm hitting on my. That's why I keep telling you join some other groups I'm in, so I'm not just the only one posting it. I don't know which ones you're in because you don't tell me. Uh, well, now you know some of them. Yeah. Some more. Uh, the phenomena. Paranormal Investigations, What's or Investigators, party? sorry, yeah. PPI for short. What'd you say? PPI for short. No. What? Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Which I, which, for some strange reason, I, I saw it again on YouTube. Yeah. And I was like, shoot, I'm not even at my computer to record that. So one one of these times I'm going to record that, and then anytime we say that word, <laughs> it's going to go right up into it. Well, not only that, um, uh, Darkness Radio um, guys, Dave Schrader, Tim Dennis, they, were do, they started doing that on, uh, when they were on the radio before they went podcast. To this day, if they see something phenomenal, they both start doing it. <laughs> I know. And I even sent them the video one time. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't use it for their, their thing. Because they like Every it. time they said that. They, like, they, um, they come up with a different different way of doing it every time. Yeah, I know. But That's still. a new worm for everybody who I like to torture with it. Yeah. Uh, another one is Hauntings. Paranormal and the Unexplained. I'm in. Um, Ghost Encounters Global. Yep, I'm in that one. Uh, 
And that's especially about it. Yeah. And everything for shout outs to them. And everything. Um, hopefully we can get one of them on our show and talk about their experiences and hear their stories. Yeah. But for right now, that will do it for this podcast show, episode five. Tomorrow will be episode six. Yes, it will. Episode six tomorrow. So. Uh, and I got a colossal shit to fucking read. And I got a colossal to print out <laughs> as well. So that's going to be fun for the show, which. You know, it'll probably take me a long time, but hopefully I can get it done before she gets done with her side of her stories. Yep. As she has. Um, and hopefully there'll be more time into the show to do more urban legend stories. Yep. Hopefully. Halloween, we're going to do a straight out fucking urban legend stuff. Oh, yeah. That's Definitely. why I'm trying to hammer out the Halloween franchise stuff. Before then. Yeah. And I'm going to try to find some Halloween music to input into the show for our distributors that we are linked up to through Anchor FM and everything. Uh, Fortunately, I can't do it for YouTube because they're sticklers. So, sorry guys if you're following us on YouTube channel, which there's a link on our website for it. Sorry about that. But that'll do it for me, Paramike. And in the dark side creepy news desk is the Gothic Bride herself. I'm Paralor. And we say keep it paranormal and everything else. Bye. (laughs) Oh, good God. What? Nothing.